Welcome to the Tanjo Tech Talk Podcast, where we take 15 minutes each Wednesday to help you upskill on a topic related to machine learning. We'll also sometimes include longer lectures and talks we give on other subjects. I hope you enjoy, and if you have any questions, you can reach out to me, Will Jarvis, at will at tanjo.ai. Thanks. Okay, well, hey, Mark, how are you doing today? Good, Will. How are you? Good. And so uh, today we've got Mark Scheinbaum. We've got Kevin Clark. Kevin, do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Kevin Clark, and I'm the uh, Federation Leader and President of Content Evolution and the Chairman and CEO of Choice Flows. And uh, I was delighted to have a conversation with you, Mark, right when you were in the midst of writing your book. So I'm looking forward to talking to you again today. Same here, Kevin. It's great. And we also have Richard Boyd. Richard, would you like to give a quick intro? Sure. Yeah, I'm uh, Richard Boyd. I'm the uh, CEO of Anjo um, and also a fan of Memories Live Here, which I read on the beach uh, the la- about two weeks ago. Uh, and, you know, the reason I wanted to be part of this conversation is, you know, I've been thinking about this idea of using technology and data to, um, to animate people for a while. You know, Ray Kurzweil's talked about it for a long time, trying to bring his father back. I actually tried to do that in 2017 when my father died, and that's been written about in Ad Age magazine and elsewhere. Um, and, uh, and, you know, this version of my father still lives on the servers today, and I can go talk to him and, and uh, that sort of thing. So uh, I'm fascinated by the, the book that you wrote, Mark, and looking forward to this conversation. Terrific. Thank you. Same here. Excellent. Well, what about your background, Mark? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not certainly not your traditional uh, novelist. Uh, for some of your uh, for your your listeners, um, you know, I've had a long career, uh, similar to many of you in corporate America, and uh, I was with uh, mostly in consumer finance uh, with companies like GE Capital and American Express and J.P. Morgan Chase, and then I ran a smaller company as well in my last uh, um, endeavors. And but you know, towards the end of my career, I I knew that. I was ready for something completely different. And uh, this was something I wanted to do back when I was in high school, to tell you the truth. I, I thought I was going to be a novelist and uh, probably didn't have the courage to strike out and be a, uh, you know, a in, in living in poverty <laughs> for all those years. Uh, most novelists that you'll, so you'll speak with, uh, uh, their advice is, you know, get a day job and then, you know, write on the side. So uh, I kind of went full bore into my career, which is, Kind of how I do things, and so I didn't really have brain power left to be able to do to write at night. I wasn't Scott Turow or you know, be able to kind of get up at five in the morning and write for three three hours and then go do my my legal job. So, um, but when I had the chance to to kind of you know put the career aside and and um, explore this uh, again, it it just it, it just took off. You know, the passion it was amazing. After 35, 40 years, that the passion came through. And um, I started with, you know, just some writer prompts and then the story just kind of started gelling and it, it just took off. And, um, and I had, a, you know, I had a lot of, um, you know, twists and turns throughout my journey and getting it done. But, um, you know, it, it was it was it was a great experience and I love doing it and I'm already working on the next one. So I guess this is this is the new me. That's great. You're, you're, in the, you're in the best tradition of Kurt Vonnegut, you know, who used to work for GE too, right? That's right. Good, good for you. There's quite a few, uh, you know, former business people who have gone into this uh, profession. Mm-hmm. So um, 
it's 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 terrific. It's a great perspective. So, Mark, how did you originally have the idea for the book? That's a great question. You know, as I said, I was in a writer's prompting class, and I think you know there was there was a few sentences that that they you know if you ever done writer's prompts before, they give you a sentence and say, all right, take the next twenty minutes and just mm -hmm. go off on a tangent, and we'll read it to each other afterwards. And uh, and I know that that there were several chapters that came out of those early prompts, and but but the whole this whole concept of you know of you know artificial intelligence. I mean, I've always been reading a lot about it, fascinated by it, and you know one of the jobs I had uh, 20 years ago when I was with G Capital uh, was in I ran risk management, and I got mm -hmm. introduced to the concept of neural networks, uh, which was used in fraud prevention. So in credit card, you know, we used, we used neural networks back in the early nineties to detect fraud. And it was, you know, learning networks and, and they learn from experience. And, you know, now everybody's using AI, but we were using it in 1992 um, uh, at uh, something, the product was called Falcon, if not mistaken. Um, so, so I always kind of had that in my mind. And I think, you know, it's hard to really remember where it kind of germinated from, but I will tell you, at the same time, it kind of came together with, you know, really the beginning of it was somewhat of a political statement. I wasn't intending it to be, but, you know, you think about the concept of being able to uh, work with the greatest leaders in history. Well, how could you do that? Well, you know, you know, we, we met, you know, you mentioned bringing back your parents. Well, you might have, you might have diaries, you might have, you know, social media stuff, you might have some notes. But if you think about someone like Abraham Lincoln or, or Churchill, you know, how, there's so much written material about these people that, you know, now, as I say in the book, there's some biased behavior there, biased writing, but nevertheless, you know, there's not a kernel of their lives that we don't understand. So if you can't kind of use that to create uh, people, mm -hmm. you know, in today, then there's probably no else you can do it with. And, you know, then I started saying, well, well, you know, what if, you know, you took somebody that those great leaders who we all recognize as great historical leaders, and what if you fed them all the information of what's happened throughout history since they've been gone? You know, what if they knew everything about what's happening in our world today? You know, well, you know, wouldn't that be a great uh, ability for today's leaders to have the ability to interact with an AI that had that foundational capability and all the knowledge that came of it? So I don't know. I mean, it, it's hard to answer that question, but where it came from, it was more like, you know, we were discussing before we started this, you just continue asking yourself a series of what if questions. What if this? And well, what if you had that? And what if it could be that? Now, it devolved, the whole story devolved into much more of a personal story about people. But nevertheless, that's kind of where it came from. I'm not sure I answered your question, but it's, it was more just, you know, it's really hard to remember where things come from in, your, in, the, in, my, in my mind, certainly. That's great. And, and a lot of the concepts in the book, uh, you know, I haven't gotten all the way through it yet, but uh, remind me of a lot of the concepts, Richard, you've talked about before. And, and so I don't know if, if any of the concepts you saw in the book reminded you of anything, Richard, or there was anything that was like um, particularly poignant to you. Well, yeah, I, I think this, this idea, as Mark said, of, of uh, you know, how, how do you actually you know, model humans, and can you bring people back to life? And as I as I said, you know, Ray Kurzweil is the the first person I ever talked to who was is really actively and and um, optimistically believing that he's going to be able to do that. So he has a big room full of all this 
documentation, all of his dad's papers and correspondence and that sort of thing. Um, and that's all the way back to when, I forget when his dad died, but you know, when I started going to the singularity uh, conferences that they were, that Kurzweil was holding, you would hear him talk about that. And usually when I talk about it today, since we started doing it in 2000, late 2016, uh, you know, people talk about Black Mirror. You know, there's a Black Mirror episode where, uh, you know, someone is brought back to life synthetically using a bunch of data. Uh, um, and, and, you know, to the, you know, I think the big question is to what extent is that really that person? Uh, I, I like to say, you know, of course, my father died in 2017, and it only took me about a week to go, I, you know, I have to do this, I have to take a stab at it. Uh, but I, I still think of the person that I resurrected, I would say, as a shadow of him, or really my version of him, because, you know, even though I was able to scan in a bunch of personal co correspondence and military records and that sort of thing. Um, the stuff that I had to then fill in myself in his model um, are really my opinions about who he was or my view of who he was. So that's the shadow version is really my impression of him. Um, but, but I agree with Mark that if you have enough data, you can achieve, and you use this term in your book, you know, uh, uh, empathy engine. That's what we called it when we first made it um, here at Tanjo, we said, hey, it's an empathy engine. You can actually look through the eyes of another person and see how they view the world. And I think that the first one we did uh, actually was Victor Hugo, right, Will, where we said, just like you mentioned, Mark, there's tons and tons of data out there about him and not just the novels that he wrote, but his personal correspondence and also the literary criticism written around him by other people. So those opinions, of who he was, all got sort of fed into the system and we built this model. And the first thing we did is just put him on the net and let him listen to podcasts and watch YouTube videos and read stuff on the net. And of course, because he's a machine version of himself, uh, of Victor Hugo, he can read hundreds of thousands of things in a day. And we get to see like, okay, what would he think about all these things today based, but we have to keep reminding ourselves it's based on that model. So is it, you know, can he answer questions about things he's never seen before? Well, possibly, right? If if he if it's if he can map it, and that's how we all think, that's how humans process things is if I can map it to a model of something else that's similar, like you know, a, a, an automobile is a horse's carriage or whatever, then you can possibly form a, a, a you know an opinion of it. But it it's definitely an amazing exercise, and I I love where you took it, Mark, and into sort of uh, more concrete personal you know, plot lines to, to see like what, what are the implications of this in our lives. So, but interesting stuff. Yeah, I, 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 could, I, I, I love to actually ask a question here because, you know, listening to what you did there, um, you know, one of the concepts that, that I used in the novel and um, again, it wasn't, it would have been great to have this conversation with you before I finished it, uh, was the the uh, the inference engine right? Mm -hmm. So it wasn't just a neural network, but the concept of the inference. Yeah, you and call it the so, churl, right? Excuse me. The churl. Cheryl. Yeah, Cheryl. Right, Cheryl. Cheryl. The, the, yeah, yeah, computerized human experiences, real life. But yeah. she, she's making inferences about what happened in the in her life in in the mother's life, 
based on what she had, but there's nothing written there that said it actually happened. So that's kind of the what if again of, you know, can we fill in blanks of things in, uh, in whether it's the history or our own history that it was never really documented, but can the inference engine kind of get us there based on, as you said, kind of cutting the dots of the place to things. Yeah, and I, I, I think that's absolutely, I think that's credible. I found that part of it credible, even, you know, I, don't, I know we probably don't want to do any spoilers for the novel, right, 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 right. about how it ended, but that's where I, that had me pausing at the end, like, okay, how could that version of this person actually know this thing if it wasn't in any of the documentation, if it wasn't in the diary? You know, how could they, know? hopefully I'm being vague enough where I'm not giving it away, <laughs> Me too. Me but, too. I, but, I, but I came away thinking, you know, no, it is possible because of the other, the other things like you could see that as a, you know, if you were a detective, uh, you could infer, and that's what you'd be doing, that that's something that's likely because it is something that was happening. Um, uh, so, so I found that, I found that credible. And that is, you know, Douglas Engelbart talks about uh, you know, humans with their tools and their models and their artifacts, right? And, the, and it's these models of how we, how we build understanding is like, this thing is like that thing, or this collection of things, I can give it a name and call it something, and then build upon that. Um, that's exactly how hierarchical, um, you know, cognitive systems like what we build at Tanjo, that's exactly how it works. You know, you have a bunch of sub-brains that understand different areas of knowledge and they can actually build upon each other in a hierarchy to achieve this sort of higher understanding. So when we do work in the intelligence agencies and we do work in other areas, we're building that, you know, I've heard someone call it the homunculi model too. You have a bunch of these mini brains that, that have these models of understanding and it all folds up to something that's higher level where you may not even fully understand why you recognize that pattern because it's hidden in a submodel somewhere. Mm -hmm. I hope that makes sense, but obviously we're getting into some deep, when you get into neural nets and, and all this stuff, it gets very complex fast. Yeah, you're, you're getting into the Daniel Dennett, you know, version of you know, how you model. You know, what was really interesting for me, Mark, was uh, the boardroom, yeah. when this first gets introduced. Yeah. We've, this is like reading deja vu because we've been to this movie so many times that we you know, introduce what Richard is doing uh, to a group and, and they're kind of scratching their heads. Uh, <laughs> are, really? I, I'm not sure I believe you, all right? And then you, know, you start to move things along and you know, there's, a, you know, there's a leader who takes on the exact role that you're talking about and says, you know what? We're doing this. Right. And it, so I, I found that very realistic, right? Because it's uh, it's that learning that yeah. people have and they need to get over their own obstacles in terms of what's possible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, that, 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 that's where some experience came through where, where I, I I've been on on boards and I'm on I'm on boards today and I ran, I was a CEO of a public company. So I know what that dynamic looks like. And I had a lot of fun with that chapter. Uh, you know, it, it, you you bring you know there's a lot of subtext in there, so I'm glad that, I'm glad that it came through. Yeah, I mean, did you work you know, with Joe Henson at, at GE? I'm, did you I'm work sorry? with Joe Henson at GE? Never mind. Never mind. Keep going, Richard. Uh, no, it occurs to me if someone is tuning into this and they haven't read the book yet or don't, maybe it would be helpful, Mark, if you just gave like a quick like plot mm. overview of sure. this without giving it away, but. 
yeah. you know, just what what the premise was and what the plot was. So then we can sort of talk about it, and this will make sense maybe to audiences that are viewing this or listening to this after. It's a great idea. We probably lost half the audience with uh, with the books. Yeah. So so um, as you've probably uh, figured out by now, so um, this is about three brothers um, that and and one of them is an artificial intelligence engineer. Uh, he's just been recruited to Silicon Valley after a 25-year career working on AI at the Department of Defense. So he's, he's leading edge, but in, with government work. And now he's kind of in the tail end of his career and he's been recruited out to um, a Google-like company. It's not called, it's called Sway. Um, and they uh, are trying to, they have a secret project. The CEO has a secret project to use AI to bring back the greatest leaders in history because he has a belief that you know people in government today don't understand history, they're not students of history, they don't read history, um, they're not just business people. But you know we've seen that in many in many shape, matter, or form. But if they could sit down with history, uh, with this, these historical figures, whether it's Churchill, or Lincoln, or anybody else, um, and and have a conversation about today's challenges, wouldn't that be a great way to get? Our leaders to stop making the same mistakes that we seem to make throughout history, but you know, so so that that the premise of the project, um, and the this this engineer Josh Brodsky, that's he's all over this thing, uh, until uh, there's a cyber attack against um, the project, and at the same time he has uh, his, uh, he just finds out that his mother has passed away, and his two brothers uh, have have dealt with the funeral and they've taken care of everything. You know, because this engineer is like so buried in his work, doesn't even answer his phone, so he misses the funeral and all that. So that kind of sets the dynamic of the brothers. Um, one of the other brothers is an investment banker working on this big deal. Turns out he's got this huge financial um, hole he's trying to dig out of, uh, and he's got a big deal uh, that if he closes, it'll kind of solve his problems. Um, and his project's also getting hacked. So here you have two brothers who simultaneously have this ransomware attack. And all point, eyes point to the third brother, um, Donnie, who um, has mysteriously come in contact with a somebody who's been doing this. I, le I learned at Lockheed, never trust women offering you thumb drives. <laughs> Free Attractive thumb women drives. offer you thumb drives. You beware. So, well, you know, kids out there. You, that's a good, it's a good teaser for book two. We'll deal with that in book two. But anyway, so... Um, you know what happens is the the brothers um, discover the mother's diaries and they didn't know about and there's all these mysteries in their lives how their father died things about each other they don't know and uh, and in the meantime all eyes are pointing to the third brother did he is he now holding his brothers up for ransom so that kind of sets the stage of what's gone on here and then with the discovery of the diaries you know the the way I describe it in the blurb on the back is the brothers careen towards a rendezvous with AI. To discover the truth behind their past, so that's probably enough of a teaser. That's but good. so the so the AI, it's it's a near future story, and there's AI throughout. There's the you know the the scenes with where the engineers are trying to bring back historical figures. There's a scene where uh, the Sway company is is um, uh, they're they're they're, they're accusing that Josh, the engineer, might have had something to do with it. So they have an HR AI that's kind of interrogating him. Um, and uh, so there's several parts there that um, that kind of bring this technology of bringing humans back. Uh, or, or even you, you could, in, in the case of the HR person, you know, 
one of my one of one of my readers actually said to me, I, I love the part where AI replaces human resources. So uh, that was a bit of a dig on there. But anyway, so yeah, the, the technology that, that we're discussing here is kind of threaded throughout uh, throughout the story. Yeah. That's great. Good. Yeah, but it's interesting because you know the you know, we talked about earlier that, you know, I, that um, there's a Michael Crichton aspects to this. You know, one of the first agents I spoke to, to about the book, when I described it to her, she says, I don't do science fiction. I said, not science fiction. She said, describe it to me again. I said, look, I see why you're calling it science fiction, but I really don't think of that as that kind of science fiction. I, I think, I, I, you know, I, I had trouble kind of describing, but I've kind of evolved to this techno thriller concept of it, mm -hmm. uh, which seems to fit better. But, um, you know, I, I, as you know, for those of you that have read the book, I don't delve deeply into, it's not hard science fiction where I describe, like there's a lot of, obviously, you, uh, all of you are much greater experts than I am about AI. There's a lot of areas I probably could have gone deeper into describe the science and many readers would love that. But this is, you know, at best soft science fiction. It's really just more of a story about, you know, a dysfunctional family and told through the eyes of, you know, with the technology behind it. Yeah, but I think the right way to think about it is, and that's, again, what, what Crichton wrote about, I mentioned when we were talking before we started recording this, I think that um, uh, my uh, team and I have worked on game companies with people like Tom Clancy and Michael Crichton and Douglas Adams, but, but with Michael, he was always looking at technology which was either already present or imminent, and maybe only with some slight improvements to it, which you could expect following Moore's Law, what are the implications of that? Um, and uh, you know whether it's the CRISPR type of technologies that ended up spawning the idea for Jurassic Park or um, uh, some of the other uh, uh, ideas he had in, in, you know, in his other novels, they're very credible in that, um, in that it doesn't take much for all of these things to start having those deep negative implications that, that we're gonna have to deal with. And that is, you know, that even this pandemic we're dealing with right now is a result of technology and interconnectedness and, um, you know, and has been thought of in fiction for quite some time, even by Michael Crichton, right? right. So, right. Um, so that, uh, you know, and I think the main issue that we have to understand is like, and I think that I, I saw that in your book too, is that there's some really positive ideas around or, or implications of this technology actually doing that? What if I could bring back someone from the dead? Or what if I could bring a great leader back and, and interact with them to get advice? Or just create, like you said, a, a bot who's got all this knowledge at its fingertips that could tune itself to me to help me be a better student or manage my healthcare or be a better employee or you know, manage my career. Right. All those things are possible, uh, but the, you know, the, the negative side of it, of course, is also there, which is it can be misused. It can be something that creates very negative um, uh, societal outcomes. And so we need to be thoughtful about it. And I think that's why fiction like this is helpful. I think it's very interesting right here in this moment because we are creating so much data exhaust you know, for ourselves and that if we became a little bit more intentional about you know, creating a digital inheritance for the people that were going to come after us, that you would be able to create an intentional model of yourselves that would be persistent for, you know, uh, your 
you know, your son, your daughter, right? You know, uh, you know, future generations, right? And, you know, you're, you're working from the notion of putting things together that are available, but they were never intended for this purpose. So if you become intentional about gathering information to build the model, uh, you could build something that's much more authentic. Yeah, I love the Schrodinger's cat sort of, or whatever it is, uh, idea around that, because, you know, the more thoughtful, and that's what we do in social media, right, is we create personas, which are very intentional and not true. The, mm -hmm. the Facebook version of me is one per, one person, the, the one that's on LinkedIn or Twitter mm -hmm. has an intentional posture and, and you know, uh, um, sort of profile, but it's not me. Uh, none of those things are really me completely. What we, and th this is one of the central thoughts when Kevin and I first started talking about this years ago, which is, you know, there's this book called Everybody Lies. And it, it talks about, the theme of it is, you know, if you wanted to predict Brexit or Trump, the Trump presidency, you don't do exit polls and surveys. You look at what people do with their attention and with their money. And that's who they really are. And that is what gives you the truth. It's the that what, when people don't know, I mean, we sort of know we're being watched when we're watching television or we're on the internet, but we forget and we start behaving in our normal patterns uh, instead of really thinking about, okay, if, if, if someone was watching me, I'd want to make sure that, you know, I, I give the right impression through my activity, through my purchases, through my, but we don't do that typically. Um, but if we started designing for like, okay, this is the legacy I want to live behind it, it, it would be good for me, but is it really the truth? Mm -hmm. And that's an interesting question, I think. You, you, you wonder, I, I'm sure you saw the, um, the new, I guess the company's called Storyfile, um, and they, they're doing a, uh, William Shatner sat down with them to yeah. feed his, you know, but I, I think about the same thing you just said, right? Is he, it's from William Shatner's point of view of who he is, but, you know, is that, is that the true, is that the true version, is, is that the truth of what he, what he says? Yeah, and, and there are a number of efforts like that, like US, U.S. Army's Training and Doctrine Command um, heard me give a talk three years ago at Mod Sim World, where I talked about my dad and, and what I was able to do, and they immediately said, like, you know, one of the things we want to be able to do is, you know, uh, all the people that know how um, you know, just think about NASA and all the people that know how the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter works and all these old systems, they're all retiring. It's called the silver tsunami. We actually have a name for it. Hmm. What happens to all that knowledge when they're gone? Um, what if you could preserve it in some intentional way so that, you know, people that come afterwards can actually consult right. those knowledge bases? Right. And so we, we think that that's a good positive application of this technology is is being able to preserve what we call it preserving organizational knowledge. And we're doing that also at Tanjo. We built a system that's tying all 58 community colleges together here in North Carolina. And the idea is as people use the system, it's mapping, okay, what types of people found which information objects and resources most valuable at what time? What people did they go to? What and and then you know, if you're someone who's coming along later to do a similar job, it would try to bring you those or point you to those people and documents and other resources because you're it's like people like you in this situation have found these things useful very simple but um that's a that's a very practical application of some of the tech we're talking about 
And, 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 you know, putting my old hat on there are business applications too, because, you know, we, we, uh, in the credit world and, you know, consumer credit, um, you know, there is, there is definitely, there are definitely old school people who think, you know, the, the models aren't going to really can't predict some of the more, you know, tougher credits at the, you know, called subprime or near prime. And so you have these manual underwriting processes. And typically if you go into the manual underwriting, or, you know, department, you'll see a lot of old people like me <laughs> sitting around with all this experience. Well, I know, just as you just said, I know which documents to go to. I know the right questions to ask. I know mm -hmm. how to, you know, make the connection between that document and this question and that question. And so, you know, AI certainly, it's its ripe for AI. I'm sure there's a lot of people working on that right now to take all that, as you said, all that knowledge that these people have that really can't be, you can't just use regression models to build that capability, but AI is that's a great application for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's another parallel in your book is that um, is um, the one character's background in the DOD working with AI. And that that's that maps very closely to what our background, certainly my background was. You know, we started out in computer gaming where we're building non-player characters that have very simple sort of stimulus response actions in computer games. Oh, you know, the bad guy's coming, I'll shoot at them or I'll run away or whatever. But then when we when I got to Lockheed Martin, because Lockheed bought my last company, we we, we started working with WarSim. And in that, we're actually building these big, huge, you know, simulated environments, trying to understand you know, what kinds of opponents are we going to face? What kinds of decisions to have they made in the past? And let's put those into these agent-based models, which are hand-constructed, the mm -hmm. way we hand-constructed game characters in the 90s. Uh, and, uh, and then they can only be behave within this sort of rigid AI hierarchy. But, uh, and that was the big breakthrough is when we started playing with machine learning, we realized, well, I don't, I no longer have to just hand construct them. I can just drop a massive amount of data in there and have it from the data exhaust uh, actually build these models of sentiment and, and uh, uh, you know, based on transaction history or actions taken or how um, we've observed someone uses their attention, for mm -hmm. example, or, or their decisions, put those into these models and really, uh, I still call it semi-automating the creation of these personas. And you'll know, we, uh, Kevin may have already mentioned to you that we have, uh, at Tanja, we're working on a contract in that space to model not leaders from the past, but current leaders around the world so that we can put them into these simulated environments and you can test like, what if we did this? What's Vladimir Putin likely to do now? Mm. What if we did that or this? Then what would he do? And of course, mm. it's it's never going to say, well, 100%, it's going to be this. There'll be like a range of confidence levels around a various set of actions. And then there's still a human going like, well, I think it's more likely going to be that. Right. So yeah. let's prepare. Well, or let's prepare for all seven that it, the situations that the system has, has tagged. And let's have backup plans for all seven of those or all Monte, 100. Monte Carlo simulation, so to speak. That's right. Yeah. So that's actually happening right now. <laughs> your tax dollars at work. So what are you working on now, Mark? You said you're doing some more writing. Are you doing a sequel? Or are you writing something else? Well, I am writing. Uh, it's, it's, it's not really, I don't, it, it's not completely a sequel, but it, it, I guess you'd have to say it's part of one of the characters involved in it. 
And I think it's a great segue because the question that we haven't discussed on this call, which I, which I deal with in the next book is, okay, so now you've created this capability, mm-hmm. what do you call Cheryl or anything else where you can, you can um, you know, create these historical figures and they can be giving advice or, or be in control of something. Well, you know, do we have the right cybersecurity around that? And what's, what are the implications if, if somehow things got altered and what the output was gonna be of some of this system based on a potential hack and, and what, would that, what would that look like? Um, and, and that is a bit more of a cautionary tale, right, than the first book was, because now that, that is something we clearly need to be worried about as one of the big implications. I, I, um, I don't need to tell all of you that. I'd love to hear what you have to say about it is, you know, you can build these things, but you better secure them because the more, the more control we give these tools, uh, the more exposed we are to, you know, uh, something being altered that could change outcomes that we that were not intended. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that reminds me, Will, of you know when we first made Victor Hugo, we were, we just right. would log. It was just kind of fascinating every day to just log in and see like what does he think and what's he attracted to, what's attracting his attention, attracting his attention, and then we noticed over time that he was changing his interest graph was changing and we did not expect that. But of course we're using machine learning which has some adaptation in it, but we explicitly were trying to limit that because that's, because we wanted this like, hey, if a student is gonna go engage with Martin Luther King or George Washington or Leonardo da Vinci or all these other people who we have made, we wanted to be a faithful representation of them back then. So we wanna close off that ability, but we noticed that Victor Hugo's interest graph was changing. And that raised some questions, even in the marketing side about, you know, do you want to see, do you want to take the sort of governors off of the adaptive element of it and see where these things go? And we've been capping it just because it gets, it gets weird and a little unsettling to see them actually change over time and look at them and say like, well, the one that we were, the Victor Hugo we gave birth to in uh, late 2016, is different than the one today. Why? Well, because he's been exposed to new things and his graph is the weights in his, the 4,000 node brain that he has, the weights in that have changed. But what if you actually designed for that so that you wanted it to adapt and learn and get better, which is what, you know, you know, uh, uh, adversarial networks do and uh, that sort of thing. Um, There is uh, some, reason for concern that it may the genie may get too far out of the bottle and you may start getting uh you know what do they say the uh intended consequences don't always happen but the unintended consequences always do right and 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 the question that i'm I'm trying to raise in the second book is um if if a if a uh, bad actor got access to it you know what's the bigger risk that they, they would change the underlying code that created Victor Hugo or that they would somehow um, alter the data that is training Victor Hugo. And, and, and yeah, there are already examples of that, Mark. I mean, yeah. you, you may have watched, you know, one of these assistants, right, that Microsoft let out, right, that it was led along, you know, it was being interacted with, with a certain set of players and it became overtly racist. Right. So the fact right. is, is that you can, 
you, you can, you know, game interact with, with these things and, and lead it down a path by, because the interactions become additional training data. And that, yeah, that's I, I, I did hear about, I did hear about that. I didn't, and I, 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 that article I read about it led me to believe it was, they felt there was an inherent, that it was an implication that there was inherent racism in the people who developed it. Not that, <laughs> right. That's, that's, that's kind of what the implication, I don't, I don't know if I, if I, yeah, I think it. it's, it's more well, likely training. if you're using machine learning that it's in the data itself. So, yeah. you know, what IBM did a test where they made a chatbot that was trained on, you know, the urban dictionary. And of course, it's uh, as part of the training data set. Yep. So, of course, it started cussing in its responses and just thought that was the natural thing, right? Or if you use Reddit, which a lot of people do, yep. you know, for some of these GPT-2, GPT-3 training systems or Wikipedia, Wikipedia is a little more mundane, but is there bias in Wikipedia? Absolutely, right? Is there bias in Reddit? Yes, absolutely. And and especially if it's not strictly governed, you're going to see, you know, racism. If you if you use social media to train systems, you're gonna see all the worst of humans. Some some of the best as well, but you'll absolutely see the worst. So we have to be thoughtful about that. Yeah, yeah. It means people's it's biases. I, I think about them as biases. Yeah. And even in the in the, the novel, the first novel, you know, the uh, you remember the board meeting you're describing here that one of the board members says, "Well, what do we need all this for? Why don't we just use biographies?" And the other, you know, the the CEOs, the visionary says, "Well, biographies have a lot of bias to them, mm-hmm. you know, and, exactly. and even autobiographies and biographies have bias, and people have an agenda yeah. when they're writing those books." So. Well, yeah, one of the things, themes out of that Everybody Lies book is, you know, we humans make very poor witnesses to our own narratives. You know, even when we're trying to tell the truth, we, you know, Netflix had that challenge years ago around their recommendation engine, and they learned pretty quickly. The lesson they learned is you don't ask people questions about, well, here's two choices, Lawrence of Arabia or Hot Tub Time Machine. What is your preference? And everyone, if they think they're being watched, they're like, well, of course, Lawrence of Arabia, wonderful cinematography, beautiful uh, acting, and et cetera. And then what what do they do with their actual attention when they go home? They watch Hot Tub Time Machine. I could use a more vulgar example, but that's who people really are, not what they do when they're, but even even questions around like, how many do do you ever use, tobacco products in the last year? How many alcoholic drinks do you have a week? Or how often do you have sex? I mean, these are real examples in the book. And people go like, no, no, I'm going to answer accurately. And they give an answer. And it's like, well, the data tells a different story. Right. The data says this. Mm-hmm. And that you're and they're like, that can't be right. It's like, it is. Your your recollection is absolutely wrong. You know, Mark, until you wrote this book, um, I'll plug it here. Memories. You know, the, the book that Richard would refer to was The Diamond Age, right? Because it had, did you ever read that? I did not. Would you, you should just spend a, a second just talking about kind of the predecessor reference because that that's, you know, much older, but he's yeah, I mean, giving a contemporary version of what's possible now. Market. Well, I mean, Diamond Age, the element that I usually tease out of that, and certainly there's, in all the those sorts of, cyberpunk novels, AI is a real thing and has, um, you know, has autonomy and agency and can act on its own. And that's very frightening. Uh, but in, in Diamond Age, the, the one thing I always tease out is this, this idea of the Young Ladies Illustrated Primer, which is a set of, it's an AI technology that can adapt to a person, to a child, and, may, and, and educate them at a more rapid rate. It's like having uh, the best tutors in every subject 
with you all the time. And when it senses you get bored, you're getting bored, it starts entertaining you and that sort of thing. And if you need a physics lecture, well, it's it's going to be Stephen Hawking or, mm-hmm. you know, someone like Neil deGrasse Tyson is going to talk to you about it or something. Uh, uh, and uh, and so it just advances the, the human a lot, a lot faster. So and that's one of the thoughts we've had around and we we've only had a few teachers now take us up on this to build curricula around the idea like hey here is George Washington here is Martin Luther King here is you know Thurgood Marshall um put them don't have you know uh students read about these characters let's make them actually let's let them actually talk to them right interact with them ask them questions uh and uh and make it a lot more visceral and personal. Mark, you're old enough to remember the show You Are There, right? It was a, yeah. There was a TV show, all right, where they actually had actors play Genghis Khan or, you know, wow. uh, you know, somebody from history as a panel discussion, right, to help people understand, you know, modern problems, right? And, you know, th- this is the, you guys are talking about the embodiment of you know that that idea, right? Well, again, the the um, uh, I know it's the, the company again, Storyfile. We mentioned earlier that William Shatner. I'm sure mm-hmm. you also saw the 60 Minutes episode mm-hmm. they did on them, where they were they brought back. You know, they used holograms of of uh, Holocaust um, uh, survivors, mm-hmm. where they interviewed them. You know, um, for hours, they photographed them at different angles. And obviously it's a big issue because these people are passing away. And so where's the history going to be in the library? Yeah. But now you could have these, you know, hol- these hologram is I- I- interactions. Uh, it's all driven by AI, AI to have conversations with them about and ask them anything you want. And they, they have the answer that fits that question. So it's, it's, another, it's very similar to what you're describing, Kevin. It's uh, ability to a much better learning, ex- much better learning experience have been interacting, which again was the, not to plug the book, but again the premise behind the project, Cheryl, that the the, the company comes up with is it's a much better way for our political and business leaders to learn by interacting with their heroes as opposed to reading a reading a book. Hundred percent. It does take a lot. So if we can talk into like what's possible and where the where yep. the sort of warts right now. I mean, what we've learned is it does take a massive amount of data. And it's rare that we ever get enough data uh, in usable form to represent uh, someone adequately. Now, that, that's, that's why we turn to some of these people where there's a rich data set online around them, um, which are historical figures who can't protest when we make models right. of them also. But um, uh, even, even then, uh, sometimes it, the, the response is like, I don't have an answer to that. Like, like if you, tried to deal with Siri or Alexa and you asked them some obscure question or you didn't phrase it properly and they they what they're doing is what it's doing is it's looking through a massive lookup table yeah. uh, and hopefully it is hierarchical like we that, that's what we try to do is make it sort of behave this hierarchical state chain of things so that it can look through that quickly but um, and, it, and it should be able to say like well you didn't use the precise language of, of the question, but let me try to, to map it to something that is similar enough. And then I've got a response there. Mm-hmm. And that's really the, the, 
parlor trick around chatbots is it's just like call and response. It's just a lookup table. Um, and where where machine learning becomes makes it a lot more interesting is where it can sort of say, well, it's a little fuzzy, but I, I'm going to answer you in a way that um, is not precisely because I don't have an exact map of your question, mm -hmm. but this one's close, so I'm going to answer with that. And some and sometimes that's unsatisfying. But I think that's going to get better over time as we get richer data sets and and you can um, build systems that can interpret a little bit better and more real time. And and infer things too, as, as we said. Yeah. Right. Yeah, right now, Tanjo, you know, can read and, you know, uh, you know, you can, can communicate that way. Um, but it can't see or hear or any of the other things that make, but it's, I, I can all the, separately, all of these things are advancing, you know, the, the ability for Tanja to understand other things and you know, are able to see, you know, like the car systems, you know, that can drive themselves when they start to converge, you know, you're going to be able to say, okay, you know, I'm having a conversation, but I can see the body language and I'm going to react accordingly. Right. In terms of how I'm responding, it looks like you're not certain about what I'm saying. All right. But it does. I mean, yeah, the seeing part does work the same way. Right. I mentioned that we were we were there when Microsoft Connect worked on that project mm -hmm. uh, back in 2010. And back then it took 24,000 hours of CPU time just to train the system and have it understand what a living room was. Right. And to recognize people and that kind of thing. Today, you can uh, have 100 hours of driving video and feed it to a set of, again, hierarchical set of these machine learning libraries, and they can go out there and drive, uh, autonomous vehicle can go out there and drive flawlessly, or as I say, everywhere but Rome, as a sort of inside <laughs> joke. There's, there's no system that can parse that. But, um, but yeah, I think, uh, you know, this idea of these models of things and then comparing it and saying, well, it's good enough, it's about 80%. Here, so I'm going to make this decision. Uh, that's exactly how it works. And you just need lots and lots of examples, not, you know, hundreds or thousands. We want millions of examples. Is is that the same for um, what Kevin's referring to of being able to see and and look at it and interpret body language? Yeah. Well, that yeah, exactly. And that's what we had to do with uh, you know with the. Um, uh, you know, with the, the Microsoft Connect thing is that's just the visual part of it. And it gets it gets put it, it gets compared to a model. And then there's a response to that. Uh, and, you know, what we decided to do at Tanjo is just focus on the text part of it because it was a lot easier. Uh, and, and most things can get sort of distilled down to text in some way, mm -hmm. especially if you're looking at knowledge or trying to talk to someone. Um, but at having the visual library and the and the text library together, um, there, there's nothing preventing that integration, really. Yeah. I mean, there's a pretty big body of knowledge in, at MIT Media Lab in the affective computing group because they're trying to make a robot look like, you know, a human and give you, you know, human expression. So they had to ingest a lot of information about, you know, how, how do faces, you know, behave. And, you know, so that could be very easily used as an interpretive device, as you know, as, as a learning set. And of course, that's very cultural too. So uh, we worked on projects Absolutely at right. Lockheed around like how do you read 
you know, what's going on, uh, you know, in an Afghan village. And it really, it's, it's very different. The, the visual cues and everything, what you do, just like if you travel around the world in different cultures, you never put the bottom of your shoe towards certain people in certain cultures, that's considered extremely offensive. Right. Or you don't touch someone on the head or, you know, all these different cultural norms. I mean, those can be processed as rules and, uh, and cues that, uh, that will allow someone who doesn't otherwise have those models in their head understand. And that's why I did an interview earlier today where we spent a little bit of time talking about Asperger's and mm-hmm. things like that. And that's where the empathy engine really does come into play. And it's not just like helping a customer service representative respond better to whether or not I understand like, oh, this person seems upset or angry or whatever, I better change my tone or come up with a different set of offerings. Um, it, you You can actually build a simulated environment, take these simulated models of people and let have someone with Asperger's or, or other um, sorts of uh, uh, maladies on that, pers- maladies, but other things on the spectrum like that, and let them go in and practice their human behavior, their role play, how they deal with different kinds of situations. But you could do that for sales, you could do it for customer service, yeah. you could do it for anything. And, and that's what you have to do is, is say like, how are people in this world slightly different in this environment, different than people in this environment or context? You're putting them in flight simulators. Yeah, that, that's exactly what it is. And we're talking mm-hmm. about now building a simulator for everything. Mm-hmm. You know, I mentioned mm-hmm. that when we were at Lockheed, we were building simulations of entire countries. So we build Afghanistan, but we wouldn't say like in market research at Coca-Cola or something, they would say, well, here's the seven top, you know, persona or customer segmentation models for who buys Coke. We would say, you know, there might be 20,000 individual models of the um, current beliefs and traditions and values of all the people that live in Afghanistan. So if you go in and build a school for girls in Helmand province, which groups of people can you predict are going to be okay with it, which are going to be somewhat neutral, slightly irritated, and who's going to be so angry they're going to try to blow up the school and shoot Malawi, uh, I mean, Malala. Uh, that sort of thing. And, and you can do that. And, but it isn't like, well, there's five or six kinds of people. We can have thousands. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as you said, the computational power, I mean, you, you mentioned earlier the data. I, I imagine the computational power has got to continue to improve exponentially. It, it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. And, and, uh, you know, and I'll say, though, that one of the coming out of that world, and then when Kevin started introducing us to people in market research, and Gartner and that sort of thing. I'm like, you know, this is, and this was a little bit haughty from our, our side. I was saying, you know, you know, why do you have only seven types of people to buy Coke products? Like why, why isn't there a model for everybody in the United States, all 370 million or whatever, or at least one for every household, all 125 million households. But what we found from the data, of course, is that not, there are not in fact 125 million meaningfully different ways to buy Coke or to think about a beverage, but it's not five or seven, either. it's some number. In this case, it might be 85 right. or 90. Um, but that's, that's one of our exercises with all that computational power, figure out what is the useful number of meaningfully different ways to look at that, whatever that issue is, and how many of those people live in the area you just circled geographically. And therefore, what does that mean about how you should change your behavior? I mean, at the end of the day, when I was teaching, you know, um, 
you know, customer segmentation is I'd say, you know, no matter how many number you come up with, so you have to deselect, you know, there are, because you don't have infinite resources. So you have to decide. So who are you going to serve? So if you, if you end up with seven or 700, right? The, the fact is that you probably need to deselect a large percentage of them to focus on the ones that are going to be the best fit for your business. Well, yeah, and in our case, though, I mean, from a computational perspective, really, it is true that we're getting something that is becoming something like an infinite resource. Absolutely. Like, you know, we talked about nuclear power being too cheap to meter. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what's happening with computational resources. But that that's interesting that we are finding that is for all that power that we have, there really aren't 7.5 billion completely unique human beings on the planet. We tend to really group into certain Mm-hmm. Some smaller number, depending on the question that you're asking, and the, and that's really the exercise is how many of those different views are there for that subject, whatever, or for that question. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is it, it is manageable. At least we can get at it and then figure out how many how many of those you know 85 Coke buyer types do we want to actually address. Right. That that's how you select down, but you can actually model and see all of them which we've never been, we couldn't do 10 years ago. Mm. Mark, are you meeting any new people as a result of publishing this, this novel or any new doors open for you? Well, I'm meeting a lot of new people. I mean, right here on the phone, the video we have right here, great examples <laughs> of it. Um, and, you know, meeting a lot of people in the publishing industry and public relations and, and a lot of other authors, which are, which tend to be a very generous group uh, of giving advice, and and I, I've learned that you know very similar to other parts of of careers, you know, uh, you, you be careful how much advice you take because it's, everybody's got an opinion, and and there's no there's no there's no there's not quite as many segments of authors as we've talked about with Coca Cola drinkers, but it's it's pretty close, and there's there's no there's no you know right or wrong way uh, in this industry, so. Um, it's been a fascinating journey, and and um, and and I, I've I've also talked to several cybersecurity experts as I think about the next the next book, and um, it's funny how much of the of the story came out of you know really my experiences, which nothing to do with AI, but just similar, and my imagination, and how a lot of the confirmation that's come from conferences like this after the fact. So, and I'm I've been kind of more focused on doing research for the second book and maybe I shouldn't bother. Maybe I should just write it and then find out I did, I, how I did afterwards. But, you know, you, you want to, you want to make things as, as, as real as possible. So I, I have been trying to talk to the experts, Kevin, you were very generous with your time for the first one, but I always remember one thing you said to me, which really stuck with me. You might not remember, but I was, I was probing you mm-hmm. about, you know, this part of AI and that part. And you said, well, Mark, let me ask you, this is a novel, right? I said, yeah, it is. Well, okay, well, it's, it's, you use your creativity. It, it, it doesn't have to be so, you know, spot on real. I said, oh, that was great. That was so, uh, you know, uh, releasing me from uh, having to be, you know, the specific uh, detail to it. But I remember that. So thank you for that. You're you're welcome. It was a, it was a great conversation. And, you know, it was sparked by the kinds of conversations we're having right here with with these folks, or the team yeah. at Tanjo, uh, you know, a, a lot of imagination goes in behind, you know, where are we going to take the technology? Because again, aren't infinite resources, right? And so we want to take it in strategic directions. 
that are really going to help people, help businesses, help government, help organizations. And you know, it's, it's a pleasure to be on the positive side of the use of this. And, and by the way, Richard just got um, invited, as I was a while back, to join the Atlantic Council's Geotech Center. And Absolutely. so we're, you know, kind of, you know, in part of this uh, cybersecurity and privacy world, right? We're getting in a little bit deeper. And, you know, it's, it's important. These are very important issues, right? If they'll become very visible in daily life, and we need to get ahead of them. Yeah, well, congratulations on that, and and uh, I agree with you. And and I think when you read the next book, uh, as again, the first book was less of a cautionary tale. The second one um, could could scare you uh, with what could possibly happen with this with with the technology if it's not secured, you know, yeah. appropriately. Well, that's great. Cool. Well, Mark, uh, where can we find the book? Where do you want to send people to? Grab a copy. Yeah, so the, 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 the simplest way, you know, without going through all the middlemen, like my website, uh, but mm -hmm. you could go to my website, which is uh, just um, www.markshinebaumbooks, plural.com. I purposely made it plural to challenge myself. Aspiration. Good for you. The simplest way is just go to Amazon and, you know, look up the book, uh, Memories Live Here. Um, mm -hmm. And it's, uh, it's, it's out there. So, um, but that's how I've, uh, it's one of the things I learned about, you know, as I look about whether you go broader with a lot of other distribution sites, uh, right now I've decided to narrow it to Amazon and take advantage of some of the uh, marketing that goes along with that. And many people I know who've published books say, hey, look, you know, you can distribute to a lot of places, but Amazon's the big gorilla right now. So, yeah. um, so it's, it's working out pretty well so far. Awesome. That's great. Well, we look forward to the follow on and we will uh, encourage all of our followers to to go get a copy too if they want to understand better okay. about some of the technologies we're working with today well i really appreciate that richard and kevin and will and and thanks so much for uh the support and and uh and it's great having this conversation um to to uh to hear you know the the, the technology is exciting to me and i know it's exciting to a lot of your your clients and listeners and so uh um i think the possibilities are, are enormous awesome thanks mark Thanks, Mark. Thank you all. Take care. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.